0: I want you to um, imagine something with me. Imagine that during the recent floods, you were cycling along the towpath um, with the towpath underwater, as I was. Um, But don't tell Judy. And uh, you actually took a slightly wrong turn and you ended up in the river. The river is flowing at an enormous pace and you are swept away rapidly and unable to reach the bank. You can feel the water swirling and and sucking you down and you're absolutely certain that it's only a a matter of moments before you die. But then, actually, you see, uh, on top of a... Um, fallen tree that is stretching out across the river, you see a figure of a person. And as you uh, swirl in the current towards that person, he reaches down, and you put up your hand, and he grabs your hand, and he does not let go of it, and he lifts you out of the water, and he puts you... you, um, uh, Finally, on the bank of the river. By this time, you're right out in the wilds of the countryside. You lie there, absolutely exhausted, having come close to death. And this stranger just starts to walk away. He calls back, he says, he says, over there you can see the lights over there, that's, that's where the city is, I tell you there's lots of lots of really bad dangers between here and the city and frankly it's getting dark, I hope you've got more skill than you had when you were, you were cycling along the towpath, but I'm off, bye and he's gone how would you feel about that? I'm sure you'd feel grateful for this man that he had saved you from certain death. But wouldn't you feel also a little bit deserted? A little bit short-changed, a little bit bemused. I mean, once he was, once he was, almost, was risking his life to save you and now he seems to be wandering off callously. That's how a lot of Christians feel about God. An awful lot of Christians, because they uh, are well taught, have been taught endlessly about Jesus' death on the cross for their sins. Jesus won our forgiveness. Jesus saved us from the certain destruction of having to face the consequences of our own, uh, uh, our own sins. He paid the penalty for our sins and he rescued us But then in many Christians imagination at least Jesus then disappears and you're left on your own. Yes, saved. Yes, forgiven. But on our own. To make our own way towards the celestial city. Perhaps he throws back a few more rules and instructions and uh, wisdom to us. But he's not there for many Christians. They feel on their own. And the Apostle Paul is going to be telling us over the next number of weeks, actually, the gospel, the good news, is that God is not like that. No, there are two things that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have done for us. They not only rescue us through, through Jesus' death on the cross, but God and Jesus commit themselves to taking us to final safety in the new heaven. And the new earth. And Romans 1 to 4, the the big message has been about the initial rescue. Paul has uh, slowly unpacked what he wants to say, leading us inexorably to two really important conclusions in Romans chapter 3. In in Romans 3 verse 10, he has led us to the conclusion that there is no one righteous. That is, there is no one who in themselves has the ability to live in such a way that their sins will be forgiven. There is no one righteous enough to do that. We are like the imaginary person, lost in that river, um, dragging us towards... Um, uh, definite destruction were it not for the second thing that the Apostle tells us in Romans 3 in Romans 3 20 21 we find a righteousness from God has been made known that is a way to be right with God a way to be rescued has been revealed it is says Paul by faith That is, all we need to do, all we can do, is put up our hand to the rescuer and ask him to grab hold of it and rescue us. And it is, says the Apostle, through the death of Jesus. That is, it is Jesus' death on the cross that paid the penalty for our sin, so that as we trust in him, as we have faith in him, we uh, can be forgiven because he's paid that penalty. That is what Paul, the Apostle calls justification. That is, God makes a, a legal decision, effectively, that he's going to not punish us because he's taken the punishment on himself in Jesus. But Paul said at the beginning, and he's going to say at much greater length in Romans 5, chapters 5 to 8, There's more to the gospel than that. The cross is absolutely central. Faith in Christ is absolutely central. Justification is absolutely central. But there is more to the gospel than just that. Jesus doesn't walk away. The way Paul put it in Romans Chapter 1, verse 17, right at the beginning. We saw it weeks ago. I think the, um, uh, the sermon is on, on the, the web, on the church website. The way he put it in Romans, chapter 1, verse 17, is those who are righteous by faith will live. That is, those who have been put right with God through faith in Jesus, they will live. And he's explaining Romans one to four what it means to be put right with God, but now in Romans five to eight he's going to talk about what it means to live. And in Romans five verses one to eleven, he just starts to introduce us to what he is going to say over the next few chapters. So I'm just going to introduce us to the basic things that he says about what it means to live, to be alive as a Christian. And then we will unpack it in more depth in coming weeks. Paul is going to introduce introduce us to two things. One is, as believers, as people who've been put right with God, who've been made righteous, God is with us on the journey. And the second is, that as people who are put right with God, God will stay with us and get us to the destination. That's what we're going to see. But first of all, we need to see that in chapter 5 here, Paul, Paul everything that he wants to say in these first 11 verses is based on this foundation of of justification by faith, of being put right with God through faith in Jesus. It's very clear in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, and so on he goes, or in verse 9 again, since we have now been justified by his blood, God made this legal decision that on the basis of our faith and of Christ's blood, Christ's death on the cross, we are put right with Him. Since that is true, He will go on to explain the rest. Also, just um, uh, we need to notice that verses seven, uh, sorry six to eight, the sort of centerpiece of this little uh, introductory um, uh, section is all about that justification that having been put right with God through Jesus' death. And, and Paul, Paul is wanting to say there, it is a sign of God's amazing love. Verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. Not people who'd somehow made themselves good enough, People who were ungodly. Verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. In other words, people people don't sacrifice themselves for worthless people except Jesus. You might sacrifice yourself for someone of great worth and think, well, my death is is worth it because I will save them. But Jesus was of infinite value himself. And he knew that verdict on us, there is no one righteous. And yet he was prepared to sacrifice himself. That is extraordinary love, says Paul. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So again and again he's wanting to say in this section that it is foundational to your life that Jesus died for your sins and that puts you right with God as you put your trust in Jesus. But it's what he wants to go on to start to introduce that we need to, we need to focus on for the rest of our time. We are not left alone. We're not dragged from the river, dumped on the bank and left to our own devices. Verses 1-5 to five, his big emphasis is God will be with us on the journey. Therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first, first, first thing that we need to see is in fact he will go through a, a, a sort of three three step or two step process both in, in 5 1 to 5 and then, in, then again in 9 to 11. He will say, Since you have this foundational status with God, secondly, you have much more than altered your legal status before God. You are reconciled to Him. You have here peace with Him. He uses reconciled in verse 10. You have a new relationship with him. But that's just the intermediate step on the main thing that he wants to say in each curse. And the main thing he wants to say in verses 1 to 5 is that you have the love of God in your life if you are right with God, if you are justified by him. Verse 5. Hope, the hope that we have been promised then. The the distant city, hope does not um, put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Very important that we, 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 we grasp this. We have a future hope. Dan was talking about it uh, this morning. A distant city. But we have, from that distant city, a present experience, which is the love of God poured out into our hearts by God's Spirit. The Bible presents a Trinitarian God. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and it's very important that we realise all three members of the Trinity are vital in our understanding of God. I said uh, uh, I said before at the beginning of the series. In a sense, Romans one to four is all about Jesus and his death on the cross for us. Romans nine to eleven will be all about God the Father and whether he is faithful to the promises he made in the past. And Romans 5-8, to 8, in essence, is all about the Spirit. The ab- average conservative evangelicals like us, we tend to get all a little bit shifty and, uh, and worry when we start talking about the work of the Spirit. But the Apostle Paul was not... Hope does not put us to shame or disappoint, disappoint, us, disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Spirit. And here's the, here's the central thing that the Spirit does. He takes that, that, that relationship, that joyful relationship which God had enjoyed within himself for eternity past, his love, God the Father for God the Son and he pours that love out into our hearts so that we both experience the love of God and we begin to mirror the love of God so that we find ourselves then beginning genuinely to love God so that we find ourselves beginning to love others in a way that starts to mirror God. God pours out His love into our hearts by His Spirit. You cannot call yourself a Christian if you have not begun to love God. It is not enough just to assent to certain um, truths. We must be people for whom those truths are the, are the foundation of our delight and our pleasure in God. Boys, if you can settle down, please, so that everybody can listen. Yep. It is absolutely central, Romans 5 to 8 is going to tell us. It is absolutely central. That we love God and it is the Holy Spirit who does it. God does not leave us on our own. Jesus does not leave us on our own. He begins a loving relationship whereby he walks with us to our final destination. Indeed, that is so such an important and profound thing, it transforms our experiences of difficulty. Do you see that? I jumped over it, but there it is. Um, Verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and that hope does not disappoint us. In other words, knowing that there's a God who walks alongside us and loves us and is transforming our hearts, that gives us the ability to deal with difficulties and to see the positive things that God is doing. God uses those difficulties to create perseverance in us. God uses the ongoing perseverance that is required to get to the end of our lives loving Him, to create character in us. And it is that solid, firm character in us that enables hope to shine all the stronger in in our hearts. I, I remember when I was first a believer, my eternal destiny was not that big a deal for me. There were other things that were far more important to me about being a Christian. I remember noticing, actually, passages like this in a thousand places in the New Testament where it is actually our eternal destiny that seems to be absolutely the most central thing in Jesus' teaching, in the (coughs) Apostles' teaching, in the attitude of Christians to their future where they might die any minute on some occasions in the book of Acts. But their eternal destiny is the centre of their Life, the centre of, of, of their interests and therefore they are enabled to live their lives with joy and with perseverance well Paul's describing that process whereby perseverance builds character builds hope and it is all done because the love of God is poured out into our hearts by his spirit not just once again and again and again as we walk with him if you want some new year's resolution for 2013 let it be that you will know that in your own heart that is not something that you can create so it's a bit of a misnomer to call it a resolution but it is something that God can give as we seek it from him God has not left you alone, says the Apostle. You have his love. If you're justified, you have a relationship with him. You have his love. And then much more briefly, he goes through the same logic... Again, but this time with a slightly different conclusion, verses 9 to 11. Since we have now been justified by his blood through Jesus' death on the cross, he means, we are re- reconciled to him, verse 10, through the death of his son, a much broader sense of now having a relationship with him. But now he moves on to something else. Um, We're reconciled to him through his Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You're justified. You're united with God. And because you're united with God and with Jesus, well, Jesus died, but he (coughs) rose again. And so Jesus' resurrection life becomes the promise for us. We will be saved through his life because he rose again and yet he is so bound to us that he is determined that we too will rise again to resurrection life. Jesus' resurrection is the promise that the life we begin to enjoy now through the Spirit's work in our hearts, will finally burst into its fullest bloom in resurrection life after our deaths. Because Jesus rose from the dead. He will get you there. Now I don't know whether you felt Some connection in your emotional relationship with God and that poor wretch lying on the side of the river having his saviour walk away and just show him the city in the distance. If there's any sense of that experience in your experience with God the Apostle Paul wants to say to you Look again. Look again at what the Gospel says. You are not alone. There are lots of pitfalls. There are lots of things that can can cause you damage. There may be real trials and struggles that you will go through in your life. But look again at what Jesus Jesus promises. Reconsider again the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel and that's not just because Jesus died on the cross for his sins it's because God the Holy Spirit as well came alongside him and will get him to his final destination I don't know what 2013 has in store for you could be all sorts of things could be lots of happy things there could be some difficulty that none of us has any inkling about yet. But if you're a believer here, then you have the love of God poured out into your heart by the Spirit and He will keep pouring. And you have the risen Jesus who has clutched you to Himself so firmly But when you die just as it was impossible to keep him dead it will be impossible to keep you dead. You will rise on the last day. You are saved through his life. There will be much more of that in coming weeks as we unpack it more. But that's the essence of what Paul wants to introduce us to. You are Not. Alone.